If you could now stand for the reading. Which is the verse in Isaiah that um, the verse that uh, Noel read this morning refers to. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You who have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, bless Kyle as he preaches and he brings this word to us. Bless the hearers that a miracle will occur in each of our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Well, it's wonderful to be with you all today, this morning. I, um, I was in my basement last week watching you all, um, well, watching the service, I should say, and it was really a pleasant thing to be able to still be able to do that and glad to be back here and able to enjoy this Advent service with you. I wanted to thank um, Pat Marin for, for hard work this, um, oh, just over the, the past few months in creating just like an outreach opportunity for our police and fire department. Some of you were there, but um, we all um, got into basically the where they park the, the fire engines in this garage um, in Warren. So it's the main kind of Warren fire department hub. And, um, and all the police and firemen showed up, and um, Pat arranged lunch for them and skits from the kids and this beautiful gift that um, a local artist had painted that that Pat had commissioned to paint something for the police and fire department, and um, we were able to present it all to them. And as we said, the the kids did a um, did a skit for them, and you saw the skit, I think, because we did it one Sunday, um, and it was just a beautiful time. The the chief of police, um, Borges, right, Chief Borges, he came up to me afterwards, and he was visibly moved. You could just kind of tell, like he was a little speechless, and um, just trying to find the words to thank us for for that opportunity, and um, just a very special time. So be praying for them, and thank you, Pat, for her hard work. Give her a round of applause for that. And I know many of you, too, were a big um, help as well, that making food and um, doing different parts of it. So thank you all for, for that. And I would just love to see your family and friends here on December 19th. Um, and um, we just thought that that would be the, the, the best day to actually get 
um, people to come. Uh, Christmas Eve can be tough. People are all over the place. You know, so, um, so we hope that you can come. We have a candlelight service. Um, we'll make it dark in here. We don't have too many windows. So um, we're going to have a, can a, a candlelight portion. Our kids are going to do um, a presentation. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope that you can come and be praying about maybe a person or two you can bring, bring along with you. Okay? And um, so now, as I said, we are back um, in um, our Advent series. And if you should decide at some point in your life, and I hope that you do, to begin a, a deeper study of the Bible um, and begin to become a student of the Bible, you're going to start to learn various principles of interpretation. Pastor Joe mentioned one of them last week, if you recall, that we interpret Scripture with Scripture. Do you remember that principle? Um, that basically means that sometimes there's a passage in the Bible that is explained somewhere else in the Bible, and that is the best way to interpret um, scripture, when you find other places in the Bible that explain those things. Um, today, we have a great example of that happening again, because um, Matthew chapter 4, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 9, is explained by Matthew chapter 4. So we have a, another example of scripture interpreting scripture. Another interpretive principle reminds us that the, that the entire Bible is what is called Christocentric. Um, that is, it, it centers around the Christ. So the principle basically says that from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is there somehow in some way. You may not realize it, but he's in Ruth, he's in Exodus, he's in Genesis, he's in Matthew, he's in Revelation. Some places it's a little bit more obvious than others, but Jesus saturates the entire Bible. The whole Bible points to him. <clears throat> Either it... Either the portion of scripture will be explaining him, promising him, describing him, or maybe pointing towards him as a symbol, right? So the, so the student of scripture, remember we said interpret scripture with scripture, but another thing that we need to ask is, where is Jesus in this? How does this passage of scripture point to Jesus Christ? Now the reason I mention this to you is because we are entering, or we have entered, the four Sundays of Advent. And this year, if you recall, in years past, we've done different things. We've been in the Gospels. One year we went through the Magnificat, right? For all of you former Catholics, you just really cheered up with that one. Um, you know, so we, we went through the Magnificat. We, we loved going through that. It was such a lot of fun to do that. Um, but this year, we're going to be reflecting on Isaiah's Messiah, the book of Isaiah is an Old Testament book, and Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. And we're going to be in some mountaintop passages that describe the coming Christ. Last week, we began this process in Isaiah chapter 7. And the reason that we're going to Isaiah for this is because one scholar commented that there is no Old Testament book with the possible exception of the Psalter, or the book of Psalms, that is so full and varied in its testimony of the coming Christ. In other words, if you want to learn about what the, what the nation of Israel believed about their coming Savior, it is, it is most clearly portrayed in the book of Isaiah and perhaps the book of Psalms. So go to the book of Psalms. In the, in, excuse me, and Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah speaks of Christ as a sacrifice for sin, the Christ um, will be humiliated. The Christ is a divine king. The Christ is born 
as a baby, that Christ is in the line of King David, that Christ will endure shame and suffering, that Christ's kingdom is universal and eternal, and so much more. Read Isaiah if you want to learn about the Christ, if you want to understand more about what Israel was expecting in the promised Messiah and Savior. So during our four weeks of Advent, we're going to be reflecting on four key messianic passages from the book of Isaiah. And my hope is that by understanding these passages a little bit more, we're going to begin to increase in our love, in our appreciation, and surrender our lives more fully to this promised Messiah who was born in a cattle stall. One mountaintop pas passage Pastor Joe dealt with last week, um, and, I and, and I just loved his word on it from Isaiah chapter 7. Um, this week, we're going to reflect on maybe what is the most well-known passages of the birth of the Messiah, dealing with his coming. So in chapter 9, we're going to see four things um, throughout our service and, and um, sermon today. That the Messiah is a great light. He is a great, we've got four greats. Right? Great, 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 great. Um, a great light, a great joy, a great victory, and a great child. And that's it. And then we're going to be done. Then you can go home and eat ham or something. Okay? A great light, a great joy, a great victory, and a great child. So let's look at a great light. Okay? Verse 1. Nevertheless. Now let me just stop there for a second. Because we didn't read chapter 8. Nevertheless is kind of like presuming that you just read something and we didn't read it, right? Nevertheless. Now, what is that nevertheless? It almost sounds like it's saying, well, this, ha this is happening, but be reminded of this, though, on the other hand. And what we see in chapter 8 is a lot of judgment. We see an angry God because God is just and he punishes sin and he punishes sinners and he disciplines even his children when we go astray from him because he's holy. So, so Isaiah in chapter 8 and some of the preceding chapters are describing some of the judgment that Israel is falling under because God is a holy God. But then we stop in verse 1 and we get this wonderful word, nevertheless. In spite of this, we could say, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. And what a wonderful promise. No more gloom for those in distress. Sometimes our distress comes from our own sin. Isn't that true? We just blow it big time, and we know it, and we lose things because of it. And our hearts break. Other times it's because other people are sinners, and they do things to us and abuse us. They, things happen that are not just in our lives. And it brings a distress. It brings a gloom. Other times there are things that are really not the result of someone doing something wrong against us, but just we just live in a broken world that's under the curse of sin. So car accidents happen. Things like this occur to us. People get sick. And it leaves us in gloom and in distress. But Scripture's promise is that there is no more distress and no more gloom. Because, as we'll see in a, in a moment, the Messiah, the promised Messiah of Israel, banishes confusion and doubt and darkness. 
so that hope for us now is though we may experience it in our present lives, eventually it will lift. The cloud, the fog will lift as in the noon day, and the light will shine on us. You see, the Messiah banishes distress when he comes. The birth of the Messiah is the birth of light. And what does light do? Light exposes. You see, when we don't look so good, we dim the lights, right? I don't want too many people to see what's going on over here, right? So we dim the lights, right? But when we look good, when we're looking great, hey, turn the lights up. I want people to see this new dress, this new suit, this new hairdo. It's too dark in here. I look too good to deprive you of this vision. Isn't that true? Light exposes, and sometimes light exposes things that we don't want to see, and sometimes it exposes things that we do want to see. Light explains things. It it gives us a reason, right? The people, excuse me, in verse 1, in the past, it says, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future... He will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, by the way of the Jordan. We'll explain what this this means in a a second. But look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You see, friends, when Jesus appears, the light goes on. When the Messiah appears, the light goes on. It explains us all of our warts, all of our good things, all of our bad things. It explains our world. He explains why the world is just in the condition that it's in, why my heart's in the condition that it. It all makes sense, in other words. When Christ appears, we see, oh, there's a God. He's holy. I'm not. This world is not. We're separate from him, and we need to be reconciled to him that's the problem i thought it was that i didn't make enough money or i wasn't as good looking as this person or i don't have as much sex appeal as that one you see that's not the problem with my life i'm not the wrong gender the problem is that i'm far from god and i need to be reconciled to him see light has dawned in the messiah Jesus explains us, explains God, explains the problems we face, explains our guilt. John, the Gospel of John, says this of Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't overcome it. You see, darkness loses to light, in other words. When I turn on a mag light in darkness, the darkness doesn't overpower the light. The light overpowers the darkness. See? And what I think is amazing here is that the people that knew and loved Jesus the most, they drew a straight line from these passages in Isaiah, like chapter 9 and chapter 7, to Jesus Christ. So when they read that no more gloom would be, there would, there would be no more gloom and that there would be no more distress and that, that the people will see a great light, they drew a straight line from that prophecy to Jesus Christ. They said, there it is. There he is. It's not me. John the Baptist said, I am not the Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. And I think sometimes the problem with ourselves and with church leaders today is that we flip it. I must increase. And he must decrease. 
Come and see me. Come and see me talk. I'm the gifted one. Throw more money in the, right? You know, you got to come and hear me because if you don't, you're just going to go to another church that isn't quite as awesome as this one. That's what we do in our world. But he must, and he's the light. He's the word. We draw a straight line from Isaiah 9 and 7 to him. Matthew chapter 4, that's what they did. That's why we read at the beginning. Jesus withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. How, this sounds really familiar, right? So Jesus is leaving his home to go to a place called Zebulun and Naphtali. Why? To fulfill, verse 14, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. See, there's that straight line. There he is. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And friends, you can see it too. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. He reveals himself to you through his word and through his spirit. He can give you that same light that he gave to those villages and towns when he showed up there in the flesh. We have access to that same light. To me, this is astounding because what those who held, those who held baby Jesus in their arms, what they, what they saw in him was remarkable. He didn't even do anything yet. He was just a baby cooing and crying and hanging from his mother's breasts, right? That's what was going on. And by the way, that's a little, that's a little vulgar. Well, it's a psalm. So there you go. Blame the Bible. <clears throat> psalm 22. To me, <laughs> yeah, all the moms are like, that's not vulgar. That's beautiful. <laughs> Sorry. To, but this is astounding. Listen to the words of Simeon in Luke chapter 2. Simeon took him in his arms. So obviously he's a, still a baby or a little boy. You can't lift up a 30-year-old. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Listen to this. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. He's quoting Isaiah. He's got Isaiah on his mind. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. In other words, this isn't just the king of Israel. This is the king of the nations, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, the savior of all people. Simeon sees it in a little baby. Now Jesus is alive from the dead. Why don't we see it? He's alive and risen. Yet we still think that we can treat him as if he's just another kind of nice thing that we can add to our lives if we need it. Oh, no, he is so much more than that, friends. He's Lord. Jesus himself looked in a mirror and saw the fulfillment of God's promised light. He said, I am the light. Imagine that. How, you know, imagine, you know, one of you guys, John, right? He just one day, he drops his mask. He's looking in the mirror, you know, like, my hair is gray, but I am the light of the world. We'd have to sit down with John and be like, John, look, you know, you're a cool guy and we love you, but, you know, I don't think that you're that great. So this is Jesus, though. Luke chapter 4, he went into the synagogue. Listen to what he does. <clears throat> and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he unrolled it. Because it's a scroll. Unrolling it, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then look at verse 20. This is what it says in verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And there's a pause. And the, and the scripture says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fixed on him. And he says this, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine? What? Dude, maybe you're a good teacher, but the Savior? You're, this is how Jesus sees himself. Simeon sees it, Mary sees it, Joseph sees it, and Jesus even sees it. Luke chapter 10, this, he makes it even worse, right? He says to his disciples, blessed are your eyes because you're looking at me. Wow. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but didn't see it. And to hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. Those are your eyes, friends. Those are your ears because we get, we get to see that this has happened. This is past tense. It's not maybe one day this will happen. It has happened. Jesus is alive. He's come. The Messiah was born, grew, taught, did miracles, died for sins, and is alive again. Blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your ears that hear these things. God promised the world would, the world light in Isaiah chapter 9. And everyone that knew Jesus said that he was that light. Jesus even said that he was that light. Friends, the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, is light to our eyes. He expels your darkness. He expels your gloom. He expels your despair. He expels your hopelessness. All these things that we think win the day, lose. They lose. Because he is the light and the light, the darkness does not overcome it. Only Jesus can expel darkness. I said earlier, Isaiah chapter 1 through 8, we sort of learn that Israel has fallen into sin, that there's punishment and judgment coming for them and have, has come for them. So they're in darkness. They're in defined independence and self-glory. And friends, we all find that same darkness when we try to save ourselves when we, when we reject God's word, when we do things our own way, we end, we end up in darkness. So we see these locations like Galilee and Naphtali and Zebulun. They're humbled. Historically, Tiglath-Pileser, the Assyrian king, destroyed these, these cities and overcome the northern, the, the northern section of Israel. So these cities would be under the tread, quote, remember this, of the warrior's boot. They would come under the domination of a foreign empire. But they were also the first to see the messianic light. As we read in Matthew 4, Jesus left his home in Nazareth and he entered into Zebulun and Aphtali because Isaiah promised that the light would come and when Jesus entered into those towns, the light came. Has the light come for you, friend? Do you see him? Is he the Messiah to you? Oh, I hope so. Because he is the light, he is also, because he is a great light, 
he is also a great joy. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Listen, try to find how many times this, this passage says joy or rejoice. You have enlarged their nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Oh, when Christ shows up, there is rejoicing. There is great joy. Not only does the Messiah remove gloom in the distress of our sin and world, he doesn't just take away our, our sorrow and sadness, but he replaces it with great joy. The word increase there, did you see you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy? The, the word increased is, is a little bit deceiving. The word actually means fully mature or like grown up. In other words, they have, they have a mature joy rather than an immature joy. <laughs> Let me explain to this because the, the passage explains what this means. It says that a farmer's joy is fully mature at the harvest, right? A warrior's joy is fully matured at the plunder. And why? Why is the joy fully matured at the harvest and at the plunder? Well, because the battle's over. It's not in the middle. There's no more mystery of what the outcome will be. When you harvest, it's the end. You know what you got, right? When you're, when you're taking the plunder, the enemy has been defeated. It's, the battle is finished. So you have a mature joy, a confident joy. The farmer might have joy after the ground is tilled, in other words, at the start of the season, they dug up the ground. Okay, step one's done. The tractor didn't break. That's good, right? Like um, after a few weeks, maybe after the plants a seed, it's raining, and there's this mixture of rain and sunshine. Okay, things are going well. I'm happy. Things are, things are happening because that's what you need for the harvest. But the harvest still is yet to be secured. Isn't that true? Is There's a saying don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Do you remember a few years ago? Oh, yeah, no, none of you know this story, right? Um, when the Patriots were down 28-9 to in the Super Bowl 51. You remember this? And the, the fourth quarter begins, and they're down 28-9. to the, the path to victory um, was for the Falcons. They were playing the Falcons. It was so visible and so thrilling that do, you re, do you remember what the owner did? In an unprecedented fashion. Oh, he's, he's going to be infamous for this poor guy for the rest of his life. But like in an unprecedented fashion, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, he comes down out of his skybox onto the field in his pinstripe suit. Do you remember this? Because he won in his mind. He won the game. They just won the Super Bowl. He's thrilled. The path to victory was so visible and so thrilling that he comes down onto the field in the fourth quarter rejoicing. You see, that's an immature joy, right? And, and okay, we've all had it. So I'm sorry, sir, if you're watching <laughs> online. We give you grace because I've done it too, okay? He was presuming victory. The his field was tilled, right? The sun was shining. He had some rain. Everything was going right. And then we all know what happens. Don't count your chickens 
before they're hatched. Friends, the coming of Christ isn't just the middle of the story. That, okay, things are looking good. Maybe we'll end up in heaven one day. The coming of Christ is the hope. It's the work that's finished. It's the end of the battle. It's the guarantee of eternal life. We do not prematurely rejoice at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can have full, mature, complete joy because of the promise of God and the resurrection of our Messiah. Amen? Luke chapter 2. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. And what a great word that is for all of us when we're afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. You know, that applies to you when you are afraid about anything. Do not be afraid because I bring you good news of great joy that will cause great joy for all people because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is Isaiah 9. He is Isaiah 7, as we'll see in weeks to come next week. He is Isaiah 11, and on December 19th, he is Isaiah 53. Amen? <clears throat> only the Messiah, Jesus Christ the Lord, can mature your joy. It can, only Christ can grow up your joy. Because Christ is the end of the story. The battle is over in Christ. You know, oftentimes our dreams come true, and we realize, hey, that wasn't really that big a deal. That, that wasn't so great. I want, another, I want something else now because it's an immature joy because, because whatever it is that you were dreaming about, if it wasn't Jesus, then it can't save you. It can't complete your joy, right? Jesus is the dream come true. He is the completer of joy. He is the great light, the great joy, the great victory. Let's look at the great victory now. Verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. Oh, there's a yoke on your neck, some of you. It's heavy. And Jesus can shatter it. He can break it in two. He can nap it asunder. The King James says it like that. Psalm, Psalm chapter 46. You know, be still and know that I am God. He, it says that the, that the Lord naps our yoke asunder. And the chariots he burns in the fire. Isn't that great? You see, he has shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Oh, did you hear that? Isn't that great news? The Messiah's victory is like what this text says, the day of Midian's defeat. Did you see that? For as in the day of Midian's defeat, so will the Messiah's day be. What's that talking about? It's a reference to the Old Testament book of Judges. In particular, the judge Gideon. Remember Gideon? Some of you may not know about him. But the story of Gideon, there's this vast army, the Midianites, about to attack Israel. They have over 100,000 men in their army. Gideon's army has about 30,000. So they're already outnumbered. But God says, you have too many. So I want you to whittle it down. They're facing this vast enemy of thousands, swarming the nation of Israel. But Judge Gideon is given a sign from God. You remember the sign? The fleece? He's like, hey, man, we're about to go into a pretty big 
brouhaha. So, like, God, can, can I make sure that this is you and not some Midianite behind a tree trying to trick me? Right? Like, so, so there's this fleece that he puts out. And, it's, and in the morning, the fleece is wet and the grass is dry. And then the next morning, the, the fleece is dry and the grass is wet. Remember this? And this is his sign. Like, okay, God's going to give us the, the – he's, um, he's reassuring Gideon that he's going to give him the victory. So a vast enemy of thousands swarms the nation of Israel. The judge Gideon is given a sign from God in this fleece. And Israel is given victory over the Midianite army, which is 120,000 people strong with only 300 men. Whittled down from 32,000. That's the context. It says, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, I will shatter the yoke of your oppression. What does this mean? It means that our savior, hero, friend is not what you would expect. He doesn't come with really big muscles, with 100,000 of his buddies, right? Swords of fire. He comes very meekly and very modestly in a form that you would never think someone could save you, a baby. A baby can save me? Yes. The savior of sinners the bringer of light and joy would be humble and modest and from God. That's how we know God's doing it. That's what he told Gideon. When Gideon was like, well, why 300? God said, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many. I can't deliver Midian into, your hand, in, into their hands or Israel would boast against me and say, my strength has saved me. You see, you can't save you. That's the point. That's the message. As in the day of Midian, so is the day of the Messiah. Our Savior saves us. And he does it not in a battle, but on a cross. A different sort of battle. Completely unexpected. You see, Israel was expecting a, an angelic army to come from heaven and demolish Rome, but they didn't, he didn't do that. That's not how he won. He won in his crucifixion and in his resurrection. Our own strength is not our light. Our own strength is not our joy. And our own strength is not our victory. It cannot atone for our sin. You cannot work it. You cannot figure it out. You cannot have enough wisdom or be good enough to save yourself, to bring light into our dark world. Only Jesus Christ, the hero, redeemer, friend, can do this. This passage in Isaiah promises total salvation of all of God's people and creation. To be completely delivered from every form of oppression. No more warrior's boot, no more swords, no more divorce, no more adultery, no more cheating, no more lying, no more abuse. Right? These death garments are rolled up and thrown into the fire. Wow. Good news. And only God can do it. What we have to do is say, okay, save me. I'll stop trying to do it myself. Only God can do it. And he did it through humility, through a great child. <clears throat> For to us, in verse 6, a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isn't that amazing? He's given four names, which we'll get to in a moment. The word for, though, is critical. You see, you see it says, 
for to us a child is born for you know underline that because it's saying okay how how will we be rescued from the warrior's boot how will the garments of blood be thrown into the fire how will these instruments of war and injustice and everything sinful and wicked in this world be utterly decimated okay isaiah tells us for unto us a child is born he sends a baby it tells us how the light how the joy how the victory will visit us all of these things which are which our hearts and all of the, th- the things which our world longs for, peace, kindness, love, we don't bring it in. Isn't that interesting how hard so many countries, nations, have tried to bring peace and kindness, yet it still evades us? Why can't we just do it? Because we need to be saved by our God. He sends a child, not a grown man, not handsome and strong and wise, a child. Isaiah chapter 7, we read last week, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, God sent the angel to Gabriel, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, a descendant of David. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a child. And you are to call him name. You are to call his name. Imagine this. You are to call his name Savior. Jesus means Savior, by the way. You are to call him Savior because that's what he is. He will save his people from his sins. Gideon got a sign. Remember that fleece. Our sign is a pregnant virgin. Gideon was delivered by an army of three hundred. We are delivered by a broken, battered, beat-up, and tortured man. The Messiah is given four names in here. And all four names describe him, by the way, as God in the flesh. This is not just an angel, some super, you know, super enlightened human being, but he's actually God in the flesh. The first thing our text calls him is wonderful counselor. Wonderful in the Old Testament language means supernatural. It is Yahweh in Isaiah 28, 29, who is wonderful in counsel. In other words, he's got a supernatural wisdom that only God has. He's a, if that's not enough for you, how about this? He is mighty God. The Messiah, the coming child, is called mighty God. But sometimes people say, well, if, if Jesus is God, why doesn't the Bible ever say he's God? He do- it does, many times. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20. It's a reference to the Holy One of Israel, mighty God. Everlasting Father, this trips up sometimes our Trinitarian friends. Right? We believe that God is one God, but he's three in person, Father, Son, and Spirit. So what's happening here? Why is, why is he being being called everlasting father it's better translated this father of eternity you know other other people in scripture are called father one for example is satan he is the father of lies it's not saying that satan is god the father it's saying that he is the origin of something satan is the origin of lies 
So it's not saying that Jesus is the Father or the Messiah is the Father. It's saying that he is the origin of all things eternal. He is our creator. He is eternal life. So it's not to say that the Messiah is God the Father, rather that he is the Father or origin of eternity. The Messiah is the only source for abundance and eternal life. That's why we are told frequently in the Gospels to repent of our sin and to believe in him. But not only that, he is called the Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In other words, he displaces, this is what we've been studying in Daniel, he displaces, when, when Christ returns a second time, he will displace all human governments and kings. Isn't that great? No more conspiracies, right? Like, who done it? Who really took down the towers? Right, like, all this stuff that we get mixed up in, who do we trust? Which, which person do we vote for next? When Christ comes, he flattens the system. And he says, I'm king overall. The prince, the king of peace. So in other words, he has absolute authority, but we have absolutely no reason to be afraid of him because he loves us. He brings peace to us. Amen? He is king absolute, and his kingdom is peace. Of this coming kingdom, it is without end. It is eternal. Of the greatness, in verse 7, of his, of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. You see, he's the father of eternity. The promised one that God promised David, I'm going to send you a king through your line who's not only going to be king of Israel but king of all things because he's the creator of all things. And what we learn from Isaiah 11, which we'll study more in detail next week, is that in Isaiah 11 it says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. I always love this verse because to me, like that's talking about Mary. Mary's the stump. Not many people want to be called a stump. Jesus is the shoot coming out of the stump. And so it's talk, I know it's talking about Israel, but she's included in that, right? Like, hey, hey, man, why am I a stump? And her reaction to that is, is to me just because she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For, who, for he that is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. That's her response being called a stump she doesn't need to be the one to save everybody she rejoices that she doesn't have to save herself oh and friends that's the coming messiah we can rejoice that we don't have to save her ourselves a branch shoots forth the coming one and in luke chapter one it says you will conceive mary and give birth to a son he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the Lord God will give him his thr the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will be without end. Isn't this beautiful? So, friends, let me just close and say just a few more things, okay? What is your light? What is your source? What explains you? What explains the world around you? Would you see the light as Christ, as Jesus Oh, all those things that we think that we need, that we think that once we achieve them, I'll figure myself out and life out. Does it work? Has it worked? 
Do these things truly explain the world around you? Friends, can I invite you to consider a better source of light, the only light, Jesus Christ? Friends, from where does your joy come from? Has it been fully matured in the things that you have pursued? Or have you been left disappointed and wanting? Is it lasting? Is it real? Can I invite you to come to the great joy, the Messiah? And friends, how, how have you been trying to make, fix yourself? Make, make yourself right. Make others right around you. Make this world right. What's your solution for all that? Is it military prowess? Is it, is it politics? Is it education? Has it worked? Perhaps our light and joy and victory comes from another source, a savior, a child, born in a manger, Christ the Lord. We are lost without him, friends. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, your word says in Isaiah 53, I will give him, the Messiah, a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with sinners, because he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for transgressors. God, thank you for our Savior, Christ the Lord. God, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior yet, I ask God that they would that you would convict them through your spirit help them to see the light of Christ oh friend there is a God he made you and everything in this world to know and love him sin is simply us loving his stuff more than him it's broken us it's put us in darkness and the Messiah can banish your gloom come and get him cry out to him God I'm a sinner I've sought to be my own savior, my own light, my own joy, my own victory. Only Christ can save me. He died on a cross for my sin where you poured out your judgment on him instead of me. He took my death. He took my darkness. And then he emerged from the tomb victorious. So will I. Friend, if your heart is turning to faith in Jesus Christ, you're a new person. Old things have passed. All things have become new. And I would just invite you to come and talk to me or perhaps someone you came with or someone that you know that knows the Lord so that we can um, rejoice with you and pray for you. God, for the rest of us, I pray that you would help us to love and follow and trust you. You are so good to us. I pray, Lord, that we would remember who is our great victory, our great joy our great light in this great child. In Jesus' name, amen.